Welcome to the North Dakota Democracy Community. I am your host, Richard Rockefeller. Uh, this is the fourth episode. Uh, on the afternoon of February 8, 2020, uh, the North Dakota Democracy Community had both an on-the-record and off-the-record conversation with David Stewart Owen. David uh, is studying political science at UND. He's a campaign strategy consultant and the current chair of Legalize ND. Uh, David also hosts Greener Pastures, a radio talk uh, show that airs every other Tuesday. Uh, uh, this is done with co-host Jonathan Lentu uh, of the Good Talk Network in Minot, North Dakota. Uh, that can be found on YouTube and also on KRFF 95.5 Radio Free Fargo. David uh, chairs the, uh, is the committee chair for a 2020 uh, citizen-led ballot referendum. Uh, to reform current North Dakota criminal code and establish a marijuana control commission in the state. Um, we're so grateful beyond wildest belief uh, for this conversation with David, uh, a fiercely intelligent young man uh, who is committed to criminal justice reform, both in North Dakota and nationally. Our conversation with David was highly insightful and educational, both historically and for our current time. For that, we are grateful. We are we are thankful. Thank you, David. Um, this conversation uh, was unscripted and may contain adult language and content. Adult supervision is uh, is recommended. I'd just like to give the caveat that the views and statements and ideologies expressed in conversations um, that various people bring to the North Dakota democracy community are not necessarily the same as the host. And nor should they be, really, right? It's about hosting conversations. And sometimes those conversations can can go down uh, paths where you may not necessarily agree, but you can try to understand how you come to those viewpoints. With that, I thank you for listening to the North Dakota Democracy Community. Let's take a listen. Here with David Stewart Owen, we're at the public library on a beautiful uh, winter, bitter cold day. Yeah, it's pretty uh, warm. It's above five it, degrees. It, it, that's because it got cloudy, right? It yeah. got cloudy, so it it uh, yeah, it clouded over. Which I the moon is full tomorrow, so I hope it doesn't stay cloudy. Um, and it it is February. Um, Some change, seventh or eighth? Yeah, seventh or eighth, eighth, twenty twenty. And we're here talking uh, about um, initiated measures and referendums, um, and talking about a little bit of the history and understanding a little bit of the history. David, you are the um, I don't know if it's president or chair. Uh, I'm the of current the... chairperson of Legalize ND, and okay. I also chair the sponsoring committee for the statutory referendum to legalize recreational marijuana in the state of North Dakota. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the history of Legalize ND. So Legalize ND starts in the 2016 campaign season, which means it really gets rolling in 2015, because that's how campaigns work nowadays, by a man named Eric Olson. Eric Olson had determined that he wanted a ballot for full legalization of marijuana to be placed and it was his opinion that it was time to start working on this. Mm -hmm. um, the signature drive starts around the same time that the medical marijuana signature drive starts, and ultimately the medical marijuana makes the ballot, the recreational doesn't, and medical marijuana passes. At that time, you kind of have a 
fairly rigid structure. You have your Fargo youth coordinator, which was Bradley Foster. Um, you have one of the more influential people involved at the Fargo level, who was kind of the head of everything in Fargo beyond Eric, and that would have been Marty Risky, um, and a couple other libertarians, such as Jack Seaman and um, Tony um, Magnell. Magnell? I, I always forget how to pronounce that name. Sorry, Tony. Then you had the Grand He'll Forks. be forgiving. Yeah. <laughs> then there was the Grand Forks group, which was kind of chaired by me. Um, your youth coordinator at that time was Haley Riley. And then in Bismarck, we didn't have a whole lot of resources, but at the time it was kind of led by uh, Eric Owens Sr. Um, no relation. And we didn't really have a youth structure at that point in Bismarck. Fast forward to 2018, and that's Measure 3. Eric Olson is feeling a bit burned out, so he decides to step down his chair. He remains as a sponsor on the Measure, and it's this period of time that we get on the ballot and we have mixed results. Um, we it was Measure 3, right? Yes. Yep. And we kind of outperformed the polls, so the conservative polls said we would only get 25% of the vote. We get 41 to 40 to 41% of the vote. Um, we see a lot of institutional turnover at this point. Um, I'm still heading the drive, but we still our head community organizer in Fargo is now a woman by the name of Becky Moose, um, who is no longer with us. And then our Fargo youth coordinator was Bradley Foster. In Grand Forks, we kind of have a split of responsibility between John Bjorglund, a student at UND, and Haley Riley again. She's just gotten married. She's gotten pregnant. She's not kind of in a place to lead. In 2018. Right. Right. Um, and so she, her and John kind of co-lead things with me helping out here and there. At Bismarck, we still see Eric Owens Sr. leading in the beginning, although towards the end he's kind of transitioned out by a man named Keaton Holsworth, um, who runs Pipe Pipe and is really phenomenal guy, getting a ton of signatures, doing a lot for the cause. Um, regrettably, Keaton ends up having some personal issues for 2020, which make him so that we can't get have him be a sponsor. 2020 rolls around, and we're trying again. At this point, I'm the head of it. The chair, kind of, or head coordinator in Fargo is Bradley Foster at this point. The Fargo youth coordinator is someone named Taylor Bankston. Um, in Grand Forks, Haley has finally stepped up as the head coordinator, and C.J. Adams is helping where he can. In Bismarck, Keaton is still very active, although he is not a sponsor for personal reasons that I don't feel comfortable discussing. Um, they largely have to, and we're seeing a lot of growth in Fargo from the vaping industry. They've really stepped up to help us out. So why a lot of our stores now that support us are not so much head shops, but vape shops. Mm, um, interesting. Because they've really stepped up. Um, you also see a growth in someone like Chris Howell, military veteran, who's very involved nowadays, okay. who didn't exist in 2018. Uh, Legalize ND also creates a more formal structure. We have a board now. Our board members are not public because they don't want to be, um, although I'm sure some of them are. One woman can't be because of work obligations. One woman can't be due to her husband's business. She's concerned that it could drive away business because they do some government contracting. And um, the other two just don't want to be 
super public about it. So back to the 2020 um, referendum. In the past, in, in 2018, it was actually a ballot initiative, an amendment to the Constitution. No, right? no, 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 no. 18 was not an amendment to the okay, Constitution. Okay, 18 was an amendment. 18 was still statutory, but it was a okay. statutory one that was written far more vaguely. So okay. in 2018, it's mostly an activist-written bill that's overseen by attorneys. In 2020, it's an attorney-written bill. So Tell me about that. So in 2018, we reached out to a couple of groups which provided, we'll call it limited legal services. Mm -hmm. They confirmed that the bill would do as intended. They confirmed that the bill was enforceable. They confirmed that we hadn't done anything crazy, but they were not taking an active role in writing. They were kind of signing what we wrote as valid. So basically they were kind of wardens to make sure we hadn't done anything crazy, as opposed to authors. Um, in the 2020 bill, we have much more prominent authors. Um, we have West Fargo-based attorney Scott Brand, who at the time is working for Brodvik Law. He ultimately ends up starting his own practice. Um, I'm not sure where in the timeline that happens, but it does happen. <coughs> we then have an anonymous legislator who wishes to go unnamed, although you can figure it out, who's an attorney, work on the bill for a period of time. And then it shipped to Legislative Council, which um, we believe it was Samantha Kramer who was the lead writer at Legislative Council. But the way Legislative Council does things, it's not public which of their attorneys works on what. So that way they don't get dragged into the politics of it. Because okay. they're there just to write the right, bill, right. They're not supposed to, to politically be, right. put a stamp on it. Right. And if you start making it public, then you open them up to basically being attacked for doing their job. So, so let me ask you this. That that's that's that that's interesting. Let's shift a little bit to the, to what the you know. I'm going to ask you this question. There's this perception that you know all of our initiated measures um, and referendums. You know that this not process. Not all measures are treated equally. Not all measures have institutional support. Right. So I'll give you an example, kind of a, a, t a story of two measures, if you will, in 2018, and that's Measure One versus Measure Three. And I think that's kind of where you're going with this question. So Measure 1 is a measure that's predominantly written by California-based attorneys, a California-based nonprofit, which then empowers some fairly prominent people in the North Dakota community, notably Chafee and uh, Mrs. Weefald. Mrs. Chafee and Mrs. Weefald. I think it's Ellen Chafee and Susan Weefald, but I, I, I know and Ellen. Dina Butcher. Dina Butcher's is another, another one. one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the badass grandmas. Yep, Susan yeah. Vogel, I think, is involved mm -hmm. in that. Um, I'm horrible with first names, by the way, so if I get these wrong, I'm sorry, everybody. I won't get Ellen's name wrong because I actually know her. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's why I get hers right. Um, and they are predominantly funded by out-of-state groups, but it's a North Dakota team. It's still North Dakota signature gatherers. It's still North Dakota activists right. who are kind of empowered to go get it done, and they're successful. Measure 3, by way of comparison, is almost exclusively North Dakota. We receive almost all of our money from North Dakota organizations. We certainly receive all of our activists from North Dakota organizations. We don't pay petitioners. But ultimately, we lose because, rather ironically, the opposition is funded by massive out-of-state interests. They spend upwards of $400,000 against us. That's public. That doesn't include volunteer and staff time. Well, the opposition for Measure 1 
was a lot of money from out of state too. When yeah. you consider the North Dakota Petroleum Council, that's a group of multinational organizations that Correct. basically my understanding is... But the problem is they have the words North Dakota on it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're, they're still, they're, they're multinational organizations and they they gave lots of money to the chamber to come out, in my understanding, to, to basically come out against Measure 1. Yeah, um, yeah so it's, it's, it's... The chamber has gotten a lot less... Um, about looking after business interests and a lot more partisan. Partisan, yeah. And mm-hmm. one of the things that people are concerned about with Measure 1 is enforcement, but we'll, we'll talk Measure 1 another time. Yeah, I yeah. I have a lot of opinions on Measure 1. I was very good friends with Aaron. Okay, and I'm interested to talk about that more because that's how this podcast started, the <laughs> North Dakota Democracy Community started, because of my experience and my journey with Measure 1. And, you know, and, and really, though... My, so you know Aaron, then Aaron Horn... Um, I know who Aaron is, but I'm more familiar with Ellen, uh, uh, and and I'm more familiar with the bags. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, they're they're the ones who uh, really kind of I I'm, I'm just gonna say it really opened my eyes to um, you know what this looks like in North Dakota and how you know we as North Dakotans are a branch of the government. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the issue is uh, there, there's a lot of issues with yeah. Measure One, yeah. both good and bad. Measure One did a lot of good things. I have some concerns about mm-hmm. others, but mm-hmm. full disclosure, I didn't vote for it. I wish I had. Mm-hmm. Well, in the forum, then wish they didn't come out against it on that same note, and also the ACLU couldn't answer to why they pulled back. Uh, they're against it. You know, well, that's during what, the time. That's yeah. what tripped me was when the ACLU started bringing up concerns over free speech. Yeah. That, given my personal political leanings, yeah. When I see that the ACLU opposes something because it's going to limit my free speech, I get very gun shy. Yeah. Because I don't want to restrict my right to speak. And especially given legalized ND's position, the $100 threshold was very, very concerning for a simple reason. I drive a SUV, mm-hmm. and for me to get to Bismarck is about $100. Yeah. So I became concerned over the dollar threshold being that low, because legally speaking, according to the IRS, every time I go to Bismarck is a $276 expense. Yeah, and see, and I just believe in more more transparency in the whole thing. I'm just like, okay, I came to but, Bismarck, it cost me 500 bucks. The so problem what, you is know? that creates an advantage for a Bismarck-based organization, which is where my opposition was based out mm-hmm. of. So they would never have to report driving to the Capitol, whereas I would. And that's what concerned me was it wasn't equitable treatment. Um, because so there was some... if I have to report every time I go to Bismarck, it looks like legalized ND is spending thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, no, in reality... I'm in a car for eight hours. I got to bill staff time. I got to bill drive drive mileage mm-hmm. under the Measure One rules, and that's no matter super. how you look at it. The Ethics Commission is we needed it. Oh, I, I, I agree. and as long as those individuals can be impartial, nonpartisan, not bought, and I, I do well, not. That's ag- the other problem. <laughs> having that, having that, there's no good way to create a situation where someone is nonpartisan and not bought. Yeah. Because Measure Major One missed one core understanding, and that is there's no such thing as a nonpartisan. Because look at who's getting, they're getting appointed by. They're getting appointed by the majority leader of mm-hmm. the House. Yep, yep. The Speaker of the Senate, I believe, is his title. Mm-hmm. And the Governor. 
these are all elected positions. And the minority, the, the minority leader of the Senate also has. Oh. It's the majority leader but of the Senate, minority leaders. One. Right, it is, and and this and the governor, right? So, so at the end of the day, it becomes a partisan. It does. It, it, it's a partisan pick, and right? And that's one of the reasons that I had such a problem with it, too, is this time around, you know, I, 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 it, it, the parody isn't there. I mean, one woman, really? One woman? Well, on three, that's about right. Yeah. Think about it this way. If there's only three people, someone Five. Has there's five people. So there's, there's five? I thought it was three. No, it's five on the commission. So well, it's uh, five, and there, that's not parody. But back to, back to the, the, the reference. the legislature. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, back to the uh, back to what's happening in 2020. Um, where are you at with signatures right now? So we haven't done our weekly forecast call yet, but as of right now, bef- from last week's forecast call, we were at a little bit over 1,300 to 1,400. And what do we you need? Think we need 13,452. We need about by what date? Uh, July and some change. It's right after the fourth. I want to okay. say the sixth. I thought the date was in June. It had to be. No, 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 no. It's July. It's July. It's July. Okay. I, I know that for a fact. It's always okay. right before my birthday. Okay. Right. Right. Okay. Um, now, what you may be confusing is there's a first round of submission, and then they give you 30 more days after that. Okay. Because there's always some that are invalid. That, okay. That's right. That's right. I'm thinking of that. So that right. Thank might you. be the cause of confusion here. Where are you at with money behind? Oh. <laughs> I have no bleeper, but so we'll just we'll just make a caveat that before that there's adult language. Scratching scratching together pennies. Yeah. Um, comparatively speaking, people don't understand or appreciate how expensive these things are. Um, really? But let's start with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so let me give you an example. I'm understanding that better. So let's pretend you want one person to work nine to five on the measure. One person, full time, nine to five. That costs you, and let's pretend that you're paying them what McDonald's pays in Grand Forks. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're not talking a, a big wig salary, a fat cat. We're no, talking, no. We're talking you can either work at McDonald's or you can work for Legalize ND. Right. So, 40-hour work week, and that's not realistic on a political campaign either, but we'll pretend it is. Um, and I'm getting out the calculator because I suck at math. 40-hour work week, $12 an hour, four weeks. You're at two grand a month. Okay. In staff costs alone. So, and um, that that would be somebody gathering signatures. Well, that's, that's literally one person, right? To, and that's not enough to run a campaign, right? That would what that role would be would be a volunteer coordinator. A volunteer in coordinator. Reality, because okay. they're going to have because you have to coordinate with over. We have over sixty petition gatherers right now. Okay. So, calling them, getting them resources, traveling to and from where they are, getting them logistical support. And what kind of places questions. do they gather signatures? Where do they gather the signatures? So right now, we have a two-tiered model. We have the individual petitioner model, and then we have the institutional business supporter. You look like you need something to write on. There you go. So we have petitioners. Yep. And what I will broadly call business partners. Now, the business partners are, are all individuals, but they're mm-hmm. people who work in a business. Okay. So the petitioner is whenever they have free time, they knock doors. They educate family and friends. This is a good organizing lesson as well. Thank you. They, to some degree, are social media advocates. And lastly, what an individual petitioner is really trying to do is they're data gatherers in the field. Now, our petitioners are not particularly good at this because they're not experienced, they're not paid, so they don't have the experience here, and they're salespeople in a lot of ways. 
they are trying to go sell the concept. A business partner is a vested interest with a brick and mortar, so they are always open. There's predictable hours. People come to them. And ultimately, for the business partner, they have there's presumably a targeted audience. So people already are agreeing here. Okay. So a business partner is going to get a lot more signatures a lot faster than a petitioner. And this is why ultimately ballot initiatives like to use paid petitioners. We don't have it in the budget. We're at less than two thousand a month, so we can't even afford a coordinator. And, I, and you know, and some people have a problem with that. To be honest, I don't because, you know what, I've been I've I, 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 I you know, they say where they're paying people to collect signatures, and and it's 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 kind of like you know I, I, I can I compare it to ringing bells for the Salvation Army, right? Yeah. I've I've done that on a volunteer basis, and I've done that on a paid basis. Yeah, paid people work harder. Well, people are predictable, and then and, and, and at that time, I needed needed an income, and it came along, and they, you know, the opportunity came, and they needed people to. Well, the other thing is, spots, right? the best times to knock doors are when people are making a living. Right. So, y when you're using volunteers, there's an inherent inefficiency loss. You cannot mandate that a volunteer gather data. You cannot regulate how good of a salesperson they are. You can't force them to knock doors. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is your petitioners who are volunteers are 60% getting friends and family and 40% posting on social media, which is kind of creates an echo chamber. You don't reach. Remember, the goal of the petitioners was to reach people that we wouldn't have otherwise reached with the business partners. So what's the goal of the partner? The goal of the partner is to bring people so if you're a store selling, let's say, glass, because that's the obvious example here, mm -hmm. those people are going to support it. Those people want to sign. They are willing to drive and come do it. But they don't want to go to some random guy's house. Right. So, again, it's predictable hours. Let's say you know every day you're off work at 3.30. Mm -hmm. I'll swing by E6 City mm -hmm. and give them and sign it there. Um, also, it's a place where you can organize out of. So you can have petitioners come in, get packets, go out. You have places to funnel into to get the resources to go back out there. Okay. Understood. Um, and again, that targeted demo, you're spreading awareness and you're bringing money into the store of the store. Because let's pretend you're someone who goes, well, I, I, I want to buy glass. Who do I buy it from? Do I buy it from E6 City? Who's being a member in the fight, or do I buy it from, oh, I don't know, Joe's Glass, which isn't helping it out. <clears throat> Business partners are a symbiotic relationship. The reason they're doing it is because they believe it'll bring people into their store. Right, I understand. But at the same time, the people who are coming into the store, if we're doing our job properly, already supported the cause. Okay. It's why it, it does us no good to have Hugo's Marketplace be a business partner. Right. It doesn't help us. Right. So really quick, uh, not really quick, but and just the business partners, full disclosure, are always head by an individual. So there's one individual there who's actually responsible for managing the packet and all that. And that's why our business partners are small. For example, at Pipe Pipe, I think they have two employees, and okay. one of them's the owner. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. So technically, the packet does belong to Keaton, 
but at the same time, it's pipe hype where you go sign. So this packet's for this for this uh, referendum, for this initiated referendum. Roughly 40-some-odd pages. About 40-odd pages. What does it really get down to, though? Um, it gets down to the summary created by uh, Secretary of State Al, Car uh, Al Jaeger. And Do you believe it's a fair summarization? I. It's not the best, but it's it's good enough. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I have a hard time. Would you read it for going us? Going over squabbles. So this initiative major would create and amend sections of the North Dakota Century Code by removing hashish, marijuana, and tetrahydrocannabinols from the list of Schedule One controlled substances, removing certain criminal violations for the possession of marijuana by individuals over the age of 21, allowing individuals over the age of 21 to, to use, possess, and transport up to two ounces of prepared marijuana, and creating a marijuana control commission charged with licensing and regulating marijuana businesses. The measure would impose an excise tax of 10% on all retail marijuana um, retail marijuana and marijuana products sold, which would be deposited in a marijuana regulation fund to be used for operations of the commission, with SX money going to six different state funds. The measure would also allow municipalities to regulate the location and operation of retail marijuana establishments, and would allow a court to seal the criminal records of a person convicted of a misdemeanor marijuana offense if that person is not charged with a subsequent offense for one year. There's two places where I kind of have a little bit of this problem. They say and marijuana products sold. Mm -hmm. The problem there is there's no way to legally sell marijuana products that aren't retail marijuana products. Mm. So it implies here that there's marijuana products sold that aren't part of the retail chain. Mm. Do you think that I'm, this... I'm squabble. I'm, I'm, I'm quibbling here. Mm -hmm. The other thing is arguing that hashish is different from marijuana and that tetrahydrocannabinols are different from marijuana I take a problem with because to me this implies synthetics mm -hmm. and we're not legalizing synthetics okay. but we're really we're really squabbling at that point okay. you get what okay. I'm saying I'm, I, I'm, I I'm nitpicking saying. so how so I have two, two, two kind of questions here then how you know how is this going to be um, number one you know, written so that individuals who come who really don't know much about it and it comes to election day if it does get on the it's on the some ballot. version of this so okay. once we make the ballot they create exactly what will appear mm -hmm. there's a problem here what if you disagree with that i have no ability to con i can try and file a lawsuit but by the time it's heard okay gfl buddy um okay and you know what that stands yeah, for yeah, yeah um okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. Not to mention we don't have the budget for a lawsuit. So that that can cause a, that can pose a even if the so, petition does make it to the ballot, that can pose a problem. The other right? problem is there's been a the legislature has been pushing for a long time that ballot initiatives must be listed in full on the ballot, and they've been doing a lot of things for a long time in regard to but <laughs> measures. But the question is, this summary is good, but it's not great. If you're undecided, this doesn't help you. No. If you're undecided, you want to know, well, how does the Marijuana Control Commission work? Who's on it might be kind of important. Mm -hmm. But we're trying to strike a balance between brevity and understandability. Right. And it's not an envious job. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that a hundred people could create a hundred different summaries of this, and I'd have minor quibbles with all of them. They were reasonable last time. I have no reason to believe they're not going to be reasonable this time for what appears on the ballot. The problem with last time was it was literally a page long, and I don't imagine that's going to get better. 
And at a certain point, people check out and go, whatever, man. Mm-hmm. Right, and just check check a box kind of based yeah. on whatever they're checking. So that's why that's why for me, it, 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 I get a little concerned. Because there's no good way to do it, is the mm-hmm. thing. How do, how do you condense something that's 47 pages right. into, and this is long, right? This right. is about half a page. Right. Now, granted, I did what I call font for people with bad eyes. Mm-hmm. I made it a little big. Right. I'm not legally required to do that. I also gave its own page, which I'm not legally required to do. Mm-hmm. But I did that as a, I want people to be able to read this. So. How, how did you, how did you become, so just a little bit about you really quick. I, I, uh, a little bit about you. Where are you, what is your, what is your history with North Dakota? So my grandfather grew up in the town of Hillsboro, North Dakota, right. which is about 45 miles south of here. Yeah. My grandmother grew up in a town called Climax, Minnesota, which is about 60 miles from here. Familiar, yeah. It's about 15 miles east and then 45 miles south. Mm-hmm. They're actually pretty close to each other, Climax and Hillsboro. So the Red River Valley. Yep. yep. Um, they get married. My grandfather goes to school and studies rocket, uh, studies, he doesn't call it rockets, he calls it chemical engineering with a focus on solid state combustible fuels. What's that code for? That's code for missiles. Missiles. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what it is. Um, because this is before we have NASA. In engineer NASA. language, right. This is before we have NASA. So NASA starts and they need solid state fuel experts because our early spaceships are basically missiles with people in them. Right. That's how, what they're that's, based on. That's what they're based off of. Yep. So they need a guy who knows solid state fuels. Well, I, I don't know if you've looked around. There aren't one many missile manufacturing plants in North Dakota. No, no. And two, there aren't many solid They're state silos, fuels. but <laughs> well, even then, that was yeah. iffy. Yeah. Because we're talking. By the time he graduates school, we're still iffy it's on still whether iffy. or not the nuclear silos are here. Here, right. Um, they're not yet. I think they get put in under Ronnie, yeah, President Reagan. Um, so, so you grew up in. He visiting? goes. He moves to, the, to work for the Navy at first. Then he ends up working for NASA in their fuels division. Um, and as a result, I'm spending time. Uh, he, his, him, and his wife have a daughter, my mom, who's born in Maryland. Every summer they go back because my grandmother wants my mom to know what Minnesota's like and all that. So she's spending at Maple Lake every summer for like three or four months. So we're talking a long period of time. And my mom kind of continues that tradition with me. Not three or four months, but a couple weeks every summer we come back. And so... When did you move to North Dakota? I moved to North Dakota in 13? Mm -hmm. 12 or 13. It's getting to the point where it's hard to remember. Did you move to North Dakota because it's a direct democracy state? No, I moved to North Dakota because of uh, school, honestly. Okay. Um, I go to school at UND. I'm almost done. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're here. Working on it. I'm glad you're here. (laughs) Keep banging. Um, And so that's kind of my history. My uh, grandfather's brother was heavily involved in Hillsborough politics. My grandfather's um, brother's son was a farmer there. His other son played for Mayville State for football. Um, his niece was um, lives in Northwood now. Okay. Lived in Hillsboro for a bit. Mm-hmm. Moved around a little bit. Are you going to stay in North Dakota, do you think? What do you do for work? I do um, a lot of things. Okay. So I do a lot of consulting. Okay, great. Um, so. uh, what, how do you, you know, so... In comparison, North Dakota just kind of this is off a little bit of the beaten path from from the uh, initiated referendum and the legalized ND. But how do you see and what are your thoughts about the 
the INR process in North Dakota. So there's there's three fundamental problems I have with it. The first is there's a lot of potential for abuse okay. at the family member level. So let's pretend I get you to sign, and you sign your husband's name. Okay, that's two signatures when I should have had one. What's going to happen is a postcard's going to come in the mail. You're just going to check yes for both of you and send it back. Okay. So that's a huge place for abuse. Okay. And I'm concerned about that. The second concern is there's no way for online people to sign online. Um, and it's not hard. I, I don't think that the... I think the online should be more onerous, but I think if someone's willing to provide their name, address, and social security number... That should be enough. Yeah, I mean, I don't know your social security number. I assume you don't know your husband's social security number. I know my husband's, but that's beside the point. <laughs> but the, the point being, it's, it's very hard for someone who does not, who's basically not you, yep. to know your social security right, number. Right, right, right. So I think that you should be allowed to sign online if you're willing to provide your social security number. Okay. The third problem is the P.O. box versus physical address issue. Right. I move around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I've lived in three places in the past year and a half. Within within the community within, that you within live within Grand Forks. So yeah. I've lived in District 18. Um, I've lived in at on campus in 42, mm-hmm. and I've lived in the Verge, which is an apartment complex. It's in it's right next to the Alaris Center. Um, so there's a very strong chance that if I submit it by the time they send back the postcard last year, I would have been counted as not valid. Oh, okay. So yeah. that, that's problem one. That's another problem. But the bigger problem here, problem two, is at apartments you tend to have P.O. boxes. So if you put down your physical address, the postcard's never going to get to you because you're actually box number X. Mm-hmm. Box number X isn't acceptable. If you live in a small town, which a lot of people I know do, they don't have a physical address. They have a P.O. box. Yeah, you have a P.O. box. Right. So I've lived in towns that small. Absolutely. I know that. Putting down a physical address is also difficult. Mm-hmm. Because then we come back to their Byzantine method, which is mailing you a card. Your house doesn't have a mailbox. It doesn't get there. It turns out this person doesn't exist. So you think the online... And to speak nothing of the Native American issue, where they literally don't have a physical address. Right. If you're a Native American, a lot of the time you don't have an address that's on a map. You have a P.O. box. P.O. box, exactly. If you're living in if you're a transient worker as in if you're let's pretend you're working on the oil fields when the oil boom happened in 2010 it's not a problem now but it was a problem back in 2010 you don't have a house you're staying in a hotel because literally every apartment is full mm-hmm. you've got a p.o box right or you live on a an encampment of some sort yeah yeah exactly and you're you're legally living here you've been living here for years right but right. you don't have an address right and you're not homeless Outside of that, though, outside of, of, of those pieces... The threshold number is also weird. I don't think it makes sense to count people that can't vote in your signature threshold. So, so you're saying the population being... So according to the rules, all. I have to collect 2% of the population of the state right. of North Dakota. Um, and they calculate that from the general population. That doesn't make sense because not, not everyone gets to vote. In North Dakota, only roughly, call it 500,000 people are eligible to vote. So I have to collect closer to 3 to 4% than 2%. Mm, that makes sense. So that's another thing. It should be based on voters, not general. But it's not So we've talked about some of the mechanisms and some of the mechanics of the, of the INR initiative process. What about the, the overall, you know, the, the process existing at all? There are, 
there are some in North Dakota who would like to should do away with it altogether. To, I, I don't fundamentally think you should be allowed to amend the Constitution with a 50% majority. You believe it should be two-thirds? Um, I, I go back and forth. Okay. Um, I, 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 I'm torn between 60 plus one and two-thirds because filibuster in the Senate requires 60 um, plus one. Other things require two-thirds. I, I don't think it makes sense that simple majority is sufficient because the premise of a constitutional republic is people have rights that the majority cannot take away and that should can only be taken away with societal consensus. Cool. So I, I, at I, what point... I understand the democracy argument, but the Constitution is supposed to enshrine fundamental rights that cannot be removed by a majority. That's why the right to vote is in there. The right to bear arms is in there. And let's get cynical for a second. Let's pretend that 51% of all people decide that women should not be allowed to vote. Well, if men are 51% of the population, end of discussion, they win. Yeah, right. Let's decide, let's say women decide to be spiteful for men denying them the ability to vote from 1760 to 1920 and saying men should not be allowed to vote. If they have 51% of the population, they can amend the Constitution and that say might, no. That might be a legitimate fear for some men. That's why and, they don't. <laughs> but the, the point I'm making here is the, the right to vote is a fundamental right in our society. Exactly. So should you be able to change that with a simple majority? No. Good question. And no. when you allow one, you allow all. Oh. The reality is putting the ethics thing in the Constitution is probably not infringing on anybody's fundamental right. We're arguing, I'd argue that it enhances a lot of people's rights. I would argue that too. But it does reduce a small group's rights. Now, you can say that those people shouldn't have those rights, but you are fundamentally taking away the right to privacy, the right to do what we're doing in a way. Um, if I Let's pretend I go over to my buddy's house. Okay, I'm allowed to do that. I'm allowed to buy him a bottle of wine and we're allowed to host a party. Um, let's pretend I want to take my girlfriend out to dinner and she's a legislator. We can't do that anymore. Well, I, <laughs> Under the way it's written, I can't. It, it recognizes spousal privilege. It doesn't recognize dating privileges. Dating privileges, right, right. It does, yep. yep. So Good someone's point. rights are being taken away here, and these are not obscure examples. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt in my mind that there are single legislators who are dating women, and, there's no, and there are single women legislators who are dating men. Right. There's no doubt in my mind that Emily O'Brien's um, boyfriend has taken her out for dinner. Right. And we all influence each other in relationships, right? right? Should he have to disclose that? don't think so. Now, Good is point. it better for society that he does? Probably. So back, that, but, that's the, a good but point. back to the fundamental reason why I don't think that it should be 50% for the Constitution. I think it should probably, I, I waffle between 60% and two-thirds, but... Okay. Well, it's a good place to waffle. My, my problem here is, again, let's pretend that there are certain rights that I don't think should be taken away with a majority vote. And once you that. open the door, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with John Oliver, but um, online gambling is a great example of this, and they exempted uh, fantasy sports 
And at the time, fantasy sports was something that me and eight other guys did at fucking or at Buffalo Wild Wings, right? And that was declared not to be gambling. Now you've got DraftKings. DraftKings is the equivalent of a of a wolf walking through a doggy door and saying, "Legally, I am a dog." Woof, woof. See, dog. Woof, dog. When you open the door for one, you open the door for all. Right. Right. Good point. Good point. In regard to the 2020 initiated referendum, how can people learn more about the referendum and become involved if they're interested in... Full site is LegalizeND2020.com. Again, LegalizeND2020.com, spelled exactly how you think, L-E-G-A-L-I-Z-E. ND2020.com um, If they want a copy of the measure they can print it out there. If they want to figure out which of the business partners they can go sign with they can find that there. They I printed mine on, on the SOS website. They can also do it there. <laughs> yeah. um, if you think that Legalize ND is a nefarious organization putting a fraudulent ballot on there, one, it doesn't help me because it would all be invalidated anyway. Right. Uh, two. <laughs> Are you looking for contributors? Always. Um, two, if you want to donate, LegalizeND2020.com. Click donate. We've, we will take your money and spend it well. Um, just this month, we've had over half a dozen major media appearances. Um, okay. We've logged roughly 700 miles worth of travel. Um, that costs money. So, so. <laughs> one, one, of the, one of the things that I, I, I've learned in, in 2018, and well, and my first initiated measure that I ever marched against, so I've been marching for or against initiated measures. Tobacco tax. <laughs> um, uh, but but they're, they're a lot of work, aren't they? Oh, yeah. It's, um, not, it's not like it just happens. No, it's not something that you can do <laughs> unless it's something that's dilatory and that nobody cares about. It's not something that you can just do as volunteers. I'll give you an example of one where literally nobody cared. The fire depart the first responders license plate thing. That one nobody cared. There was no contention on that. Um, people may have said, "Hey, vote against it," but it wasn't seen as a political issue. On any issue that's seen as political, you're going to have advertising, you're going to have spending, you're going to have to go on media, you're going to have to argue, you're going to have to create consensus. Right. That ultimately costs money. That's one place that the Supreme and Court is education. right. That's one place the Supreme Court is right. Um, In 2010? Yeah, money ultimately is required to speak. Now, we can argue over the conclusions okay, well, we're that that draws. We're going to go down another trail there we don't have time for. But, <laughs> but at the end of the day, <laughs> there is no debate that advertising costs cost, money. Right. And to speak in a public forum has fees. Even if I want to speak at, we're lucky at the library, but the library really shouldn't be letting us do this. Right. But let's pretend I want to host a uh, symposium. We didn't really ask. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Let, let's pretend that I wanted to do a symposium at NDSU. You yeah. know what that costs for one night? Right. I, I do. I've done it. It's a, it's a grand. What would you what What would you say in regard to this referendum? Um, and and uh, as a final note, what, what what would you like to leave in, in with this conversation? This North Dakota democracy community. So there's three things that I want to focus on. The first thing is local control. Um, if you look at what I want people to focus on, very simply, is the measure would also allow municipalities to regulate the location and operation of retail marijuana establishments. That to me is very important because what that means is let's pretend that you live. Isn't that going to drive the? Isn't that going to drive the? You know the. the we'll just let, 
let, let me make my pitch. Okay, sir. Yeah. Let's pretend you live in Ardock, North Dakota. Yeah. You don't have a problem with marijuana being sold in Bismarck. You don't have a problem with it in Minto. You don't even care about Grand Forks. But you don't want it in Ardock. You don't want that dispensary five miles away from where you live. Ardock can say no under this bill. They can't say no to someone using it on their private property. But they can say no to it being sold there. Okay. So let's pretend that your concern is, well, I don't want it coming into my community and bringing with it all these things. It doesn't have to. All you're saying is, should the guy in Fargo be allowed to do it? Yeah. Spoiler alert, he probably already is. Yeah. <laughs> um, the second thing I want to focus on is the inordinate amount of human waste and fiscal waste of the war on drugs. So, do you know how much it costs to send someone to jail? For yeah, a year in North Dakota, I, I don't know, but I, I can imagine it's it's depending on the year, anywhere from thirty-eight thousand to forty-two thousand dollars. I'm going to repeat that: thirty-eight thousand to forty-two thousand. I had the unfortunate of having to pay tuition uh, a couple weeks ago. Do you know what a semester's tuition costs for me at UND? Full load, five grand. So we can literally send someone to school. For four what years cost to, on a free ride okay. for the cost of incarcerating someone. Maybe you think we shouldn't be giving away scholarships to UND. Fine. There's a lot of places that you could be spending $42,000 that are much better than sending a random stoner to jail for a year. And make no mistake, we are still sending a lot of random stoners to jail. Right. And it's stupid. And the third? Well, and let me also talk about the human cost of what happens when they go to jail. Let's pretend you get fine. I, I don't care what it costs. What does that do to families? Splits them apart. That's a kid who doesn't get to see their dad for a year. That's people who don't have the ability to go and participate in the workforce. Mm -hmm. That's people who don't show up to work the next day and contribute to our 30,000-person labor shortage in the mm -hmm. state. That's people who, when they get out, are st statistically very likely to be on welfare programs and need assistance. Mm -hmm. That's people who will likely never be able to contribute to society who want to. The example I always use is, I got a buddy, right? He was at a party, marijuana was found. Um, now, whether or not he smoked it at the time was irrelevant. He was going to join the military. Um, he lost his ability to join the military and serve his country. Guy wanted to help his country, wasn't allowed to serve. Um, and nowadays he has a job, but it's not a great job smart kid um, so that's what you're doing you're taking people that want to produce and want to contribute to society and you're saying you can't because that's what a criminal record does mm -hmm. nobody I'm asks familiar. nobody asks what is your criminal record or why do you have one right they you go you have questions. they go you have one end of discussion I can't yeah. have you yeah so that's the human waste and that's the second thing mm -hmm. the third big thing is we have a problem in this country with opioid abuse and overdoses. I don't think anybody will debate that. And so what I think happens is, and what we know happens is, a large number of those people will get addicted, and addiction will, in a not insubstantial portion, lead to death. We've got a substance that's safer than alcohol, that's safer than opioids, that's safer than all of that, and what we find is in states with legal marijuana, you reduce the opioid overdose and abuse rates by 20%. Mm. To put it in perspective, roughly more people died from opioid abuse in this country than car crashes last year. If we can reduce that by 20%, it's, it's worth exploring and it's worth doing. Um, marijuana Agreed. used to be argued to be a gateway drug. 
the research we find shows that it's an off-ramp. Would I rather... It's like vaping and cigarettes. Would I rather a child not smoke... Would I rather a 21-year-old not smoke cigarettes? Yes. Absolutely. But if they are going to use those substances, I would much rather them use vaping products than smoke cigarettes. Sometimes harm reduction isn't about picking what's best. It's recognizing that mistakes are going to be made and mitigating those mistakes. And the use of marijuana, you may have opinions on. You may view it as a bad thing. I personally am indifferent to it. But even if you view it as a bad thing, ask yourself, is it worse than tobacco? Which is addicting 70% of all people and will kill you. Mm. Is it worse than alcohol, which causes people to beat their spouses and drive drunk and kill families of four. Is it perfect? No. There's never going to be anything perfect. But it's much better than what we currently have, and I can confidently say I would much rather someone smoke marijuana at their home than get behind the wheel drunk from Kelly's and kill somebody. And as someone who's had, you know, and you know, we talked a little bit about my upbringing earlier. Um, who's someone who has all of the experience of that? I can say with great credibility, you know, from a, from an alcohol and drug background, that there's much of what you're saying that I do not disagree with in that regard. Um, so those are those are some those are some pretty heavy discussions, and, and uh, <laughs> I look forward to engaging those in the future yeah. with you. Uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, again, let's. Where can people find out about legalizend2020.com? Um, if you want to email me a direct question, we check it not as often as we should, but as often as we can. Legalizend2020 at gmail.com is our email. Everything is legalizend2020. All right, we, we keep it simple. Thank you. I, I very much appreciate your time, David Stewart Owen. Um, Again, this is Richard Rockefeller with the North Dakota Democracy Community. You can reach me at richard at nddemocracycommunity.us. Again, that's richard at nddemocracycommunity.us. And find us on Facebook. Thanks. Have a great day.